This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And are you ready for some torrential weather? Yeah, we're going back to Summer of Sharks again. This time we're going for a sci-fi original. It's the infamous Sharknado. And just when you thought it was safe to go back into the podcast water, it's another Summer of Sharks episode, and we're taking on Sharknado. So Sharknado is actually the first genuine asylum-produced movie that we have covered on this podcast. It's taken us 27 episodes. I know I'm just as shocked as everybody else, but it was about time we covered one, and what better way than to start with Sharknado? which actually isn't that bad. I really enjoyed it. Sharknado, (laughs) bear with me, people. Against all logic and the laws of nature, an unprecedented hurricane off the coast of Mexico rips out a ravenous shiver of sharks, making its way towards Southern California. As the freakish meteorological phenomenon (laughs) brings violent tempest and towering shark-infested tidal waves, the former surfing champion and Santa Monica Pier bar owner Finley Finn Shepherd embarked on a peril-laden journey to Beverly Hills, fearing for the life of his estranged wife April and his teenage daughter Candice. Now, Finn, his friend Baz, barmaid Nova and his regular customer George must fight tooth and nail to stay alive, as batch after batch of the flying <laughs> predators rains down on the unsuspecting Angelinos, gobbling down everything in their path who can stand in the way of the mighty sharknado and that was a mouthful but a great synopsis so i hope everybody took note of their, all the characters and who's who who's like related to who and what's going on thanks ever so much to nick reganus for that amazing plot summary on imdb i couldn't have put it better myself thank you nick <laughs> And so, yeah, Sharknado, it's just one of those movies that you can put on, just enjoy yourself with. You don't need to take it too seriously. It doesn't even take itself too seriously. While the main characters might play it straight, you obviously know that the filmmakers were not making some serious shark movie. This is just daft on all levels. It's a crowd pleaser. I I just, and as we were discussing before we started recording, that... It did get a lot of buzz on Twitter at the time as well. So it's very much, as say, that kind of digital audience crowd pleaser in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Social media had a lot to do with this movie's popularity. It premiered on sci-fi and got a decent audience on its initial showing. But then after various people took to social media to talk about it, 
sci-fi showed it again and it got more viewers the second time and then more people took to social media and talked about Sharknado again and then sci-fi showed it a third time and it got even more viewers on the third viewing so it just goes to show that the power of twitter amongst anything else and to be honest it's just a fun movie it's not great i mean it showed up on various bad movie lists over the years but i think it's a bad movie you can get on board with because it's always winking at the audience it's not trying to be serious it's got some absolutely ridiculous sequences in it at the start there's kind of a jaws-esque moment where people are sitting on the beach unaware that this tornado full of sharks is closing in on them and the people on the beach it's like they're in a different movie they're glancing away there's a kid pointing out to the water nobody seems particularly fussed that there's this meteorological phenomenon charging at them there's a couple who are faffing about in the shallows half of them are dead before somebody actually says get off the beach the delayed reaction for some of them is like oh yeah everybody's dead now i better start running and i'm just thinking what a bunch of dumb asses because you know finn has been warning people with his australian mate baz and their jet ski uh, but but people just sitting there going, oh, yeah, great day at the beach. It's like, no, there's a fucking great tornado coming at you. And you're just sitting there like, oh, no, look, oh, look, it's a tornado. Yeah, oh, oh, shit, maybe I ought to run now. Oh, everybody's dying. So within that first few minutes, you kind of know where the movie's going. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. It is just nonsensical. And you just have to throw all logic out of the window when watching this. Just... It's, it's so easy to get on board with. Like, yes, you know, in all senses of the word, it is a bad film, but I'd say it's a good bad film because it's very entertaining. And I think you just want to go along with it and see like what ridiculous sequences are gonna like happen next. And of course you've got the threat of sharks, well, multiple sharks, there's millions of the damn things and they're all CGI. And of course you've got this tornado um, you got, you know, obviously all this like, you know, freakish weather. So that adds to it. And there's a lot of water in this movie as well. It's like a very watery film and it's just people just trying to escape and get to safety and save each other. There's quite a number of characters in it. And I was thinking well, while watching it, it's a good job they've got a big enough vehicle to like, you know, carry everybody about. <laughs> yeah, it kind of stuffs the movie with different characters probably a bit overloaded but they do thin them out across the piece not everybody gets to the end as you'd probably expect but you've got people like uh, john hurd in there as george the resident drunk and slightly leery sex pest that inhabits finn's bar and john hurd was was in really well-regarded big studio movies in the sort of late 70s and the early 80s and beyond and here he is turning up in Sharknado I mean big up to the guy for appearing in it he doesn't appear in a lot of the movie because he succumbs to the sharks fairly early on but he's still there and you've got people like Tara Reid in there it's got a pretty decent cast in here and everybody is playing it pretty straight which is the only way you can play it there's nobody trying to up the comedy or anything um, you also have the most australian aussie ever on celluloid 
Baz, who is so Aussie. They talk about Vegemite around him. At one point, he says there's kangaroos loose in the paddock when he's describing a scene of mayhem. Now, that might be an Australian phrase. It was one I never heard while I was out there. Baz is ferociously Australian. He bleeds Vegemite, this guy. Yeah, so the characters aren't exactly that in-depth. They're not well-written as such. They're just all a bit like caricatures. But it doesn't matter because, as I say, you don't need any kind of fraction of logic to get through this movie. One piece of trivia that I thought was quite fun was Steve Guttenberg was offered the lead role of Finn and turned it down. But when the film became a huge cult hit, he actually regretted it. So he did um, accept a role in another sci-fi um, kind of creature feature, Lava Lanchula, yes. which sounds pretty interesting. I've never seen it, but it's apparently a movie about a giant fire-breathing tarantulas that attack Los Angeles. So obviously they were sci-fi were going to capitalise more on this whole concept because they know how much people enjoy it and how much it entertains them. So... Yeah, I think I can't imagine the movie with Steve Guttenberg in the lead. No, I think that would have been slightly weird. It is in the Sharknado universe, Lavalanchula, because Ian Zeering turns up as Finn in the second Lavalanchula movie, which I believe is, I think it's called Two Lava, Two Lanchula. So you can just see how serious they're taking it at this point. But yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. As Steve Guttenberg would have made it a slightly different movie, I think. Tara Reid, give her a due. She's doing decent work here. She's not taking the piss at all. She's she understands the assignment here. She's playing it as straight as she possibly can in the face of utterly utterly ridiculous sequences, like they're in a Humvee at one point. It's a big sort of jeep thing, and they're being chased. Now I. Use the word chase extremely advisedly here because it's a chase that seems to be shot on different roads with different vehicles pointing in different directions. At no time are you actually sure they're ever being chased at all. And the 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 way they get out of it is they do a bit of a fast and furious thing by pushing the nitrous button in this thing and they go like three million miles an hour down the road and get away from the police. It's nonsense. If they were trying to do a bit of a car chase sequence, it's like the worst car chase sequence you've ever seen. But it's so bad, you can't help but enjoy it. Like with any situation in this movie, you just don't know what they're going to do next. And that's part of the fun of this, because there's stuff in this that's so bonkers. Weirdly, I've seen things about Sharknado where they said it wasn't conceived as a comedy. Really? This wasn't conceived as a comedy. I mean, I know that it's not quite as bonkers as some of the rest of the movies in the Sharknado universe, but how you could watch this and think, yeah, I think that they were trying to do something serious here. No, absolutely not. No, as I say, it is got it has got that crowd pleaser vibe. Going back to the casting, um, apparently Ian Zeering um didn't really want to do the movie. He read the script and was a bit like, oh, I don't want to do this, but. <laughs> Um, for financial reasons, um, him and his wife were expecting another baby. He decided, you know, take the job on. So I thought that was quite interesting from an actor's point of view that obviously they weren't keen to be in it, but it did really well considering and it's become, you know, a bit of a cult classic now. So 
I suppose there's a silver lining there in that way. And going back to like bonkers sequences, one of my favourite moments was um, the school bus that submerged <laughs> yeah. and they, they go and rescue this bus full of teenagers and this like bus driver. And of course, like it's you think it's going to like take forever. Like we're going to have to watch every single person being like roped up onto this bridge. But, it, you know, after about three of them, it does cut away. And then, of course, you've got the um, bus driver who's, like, the biggest scaredy cat of them all. And then, basically, when he gets up on the bridge and then he's having he's having some sort of monologue going on, you kind of know what's coming. This, this movie doesn't surprise you in the way, like, it's a, like we talked in our previous episode about Jaws. Nothing really surprises you here. It's all a bit predictable. You can see kind of the carnage coming a mile off. Yeah, the bus driver is a wannabe actor who's come to Los Angeles and he's going on about the fact that his mum said that Hollywood would end up killing him. And so guess what? A bit of the Hollywood sign breaks off and crushes him. So how on the nose is that? It's fun, but you're just watching him wandering around this bridge and you just think, when's he going to die? <laughs> and he does. So to be fair to the cast, they had to kind of work with their imaginations when filming this because the entire movie was shot during like bright sunny days and the rain had to be created through a combination of like rain towers, digital effects, fans, all that. And, you know, half the time they had to pretend that the sharks were there. They had to just react to green screen because obviously they weren't there. I mean, this is not a scary film in the slightest either the sharks are just silly it's just like there's so many of them you don't even have time to breathe like you know you can't move for sharks in this film and that's the whole point of it but yes they are a threat but so is the weather but it's like they're not i don't know it, it they're just they're just not played for in the fear of it at all it's it's just yeah it's more of like a chase movie more than anything isn't it yeah and the death sequences are very brief and sometimes off camera, you kind of get to see a little bit of somebody in close-up get swiped out of the way by a CGI shark and there might be a splash of red. And occasionally there are body parts. And at one point, some guy gets his arm ripped off, which is quite cool. He does over-egg the death a bit because you kind of be screaming for like seconds. And, and initially, that seems quite disturbing. But the longer it goes on, it's like, well, they should have cut it there because it's getting less convinced as this guy's rising around on the floor like minus one of his arms. But again, everything's turned up to 11 in this movie. But it's just as big and loud and brash as it can possibly be. And it's not going to make any excuses for it. It's fairly shameless entertainment. Lots of things explode in this movie as well. It's one of those movies where, regardless of what is around in terms of fuel and um, accelerant, everything explodes. Cars explode. Uh, Finn pours some flammable liquid on the surface of a pool. Now, not only does the liquid ignite, but there's a small nuclear explosion in the pool as well, which I don't know where the explosion came from, but it's just to have characters getting out of the way of large-scale detonations. There's quite a lot of that in this movie. One thing I did like was, and the effect isn't totally convincing, but it's quite imaginative, a ferris wheel breaks off its mountains and rolls down this boardwalk and then crashes through a block of flats. 
I thought that was pretty good considering it's a low budget movie, obviously. But that effect, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was good. Yeah, it's a very destructive moment. But as well as the action-packed sequences, this film does contain some romantic complications. There we go. You know, we have those over here on this podcast. So it's a bit of a weird one. So Finn owns this bar and then there's Nova, who is the um, kind of like head barmaid there. It's kind of suggested that they're a bit of an item, but then it's not really well established. And then, of course, we discover that Finn is married or, well, divorced, separated, whatever. Tari plays April, his ex-wife, and then he has a teenage daughter, and then Nova seems to know nothing about this, but obviously they all have to kind of dash over to their house to rescue them. And then later on in the movie, it's discovered Finn also has a teenage son, and he's like part of the military, and they go and find him and his crew so they can um, kind of load up this helicopter and um, drop explosives into the tornado and that. And then it's hinted that Nova is into the sun. So it was it was all a little bit creepy. <laughs> it's just a bit a bit weird, but um it's it's funny all the same because it's just like nothing in this movie will surprise you, just it'll go in all kinds of directions. It does, yeah. Nova is also the woman who is being hit on by George the drunken sex pest at the bar. George seems to think that Nova is gonna marry him. George seems to have this idea that he's going to end up with Nova when he's probably three times Nova's age. Nova's got a, a tragic backstory as well, very much like the USS Indianapolis story in Jaws, but it's less people, where rest, the rest of her family was wiped out uh, on a boating trip. I can't say that they were winking about the USS Indianapolis story, but I think that's their moment in this movie. It doesn't have the gravitas of Robert Shaw's speech, but you kind of think, I know where this is coming from. I've heard this kind of thing before. I mean, Nova's a decent character, but like the rest of the characters in this movie, they're all pretty throwaway. And part of the fun of that is that because they're so throwaway, you're not quite sure which of them are going to die. Yeah, that's one thing that it kind of holds close to its chest, really. It's like you don't know who's next or is anybody safe? Are they all going to die? Are the sharks going to win? So you do have that kind of element of surprise. But yeah, going back to Jaws and paying homage to it, of course, they have to use the line. And in this, it's we're going to need a bigger chopper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The subplot with Matt, who handily has gone to flying school, so it gets them a means by which they can drop bombs into the middle of the tornadoes at the end. Again, solution to everything in this movie is blow shit up. That seems to be the MO for this movie. Can't get anything out of the way, blow the fuck out of it. That's their solution to absolutely everything in this movie. I do like the bit at the end as well where they seem to be short on supplies and they don't know how they're going to rig explosives to take out these sharknadoes. But Handily, near the flight school, there's a hardware supplies warehouse that's just sitting there with loads of stuff in it, like um, propane canisters and uh, things to detonate it with and chainsaws, all, all the stuff that you would need for a final showdown against a tornado full of sharks. And it's just sitting there. It's also close to a retirement home as well, which comes into play near the end of it, where the old folks there seem fairly oblivious to the fact that there's a bloody great 
tornado full of sharks bearing down on them. Basically what they do is at one point they move away from the window, but that's about it. They're just watching this carnage unfold. And at one point, some guy says, well, maybe we ought to get away from the window. You probably ought to get further away than the window because there's a chuffing great load of sharks descending on you. Maybe you should be on the other side of town right now rather than go, oh, let's just move six feet over here and we'll be all right. And I have to say, Nova does amazingly with chucking those explosives down at the tornado. I think those, those are quite fun sequences because you're like, oh, is something going to go wrong? And then, of course, she does get taken down by a shark. Yeah. And you think that's it for her. And I thought, OK, that was a surprise death. I thought she was going to be kind of like the final girl or whatever. However, then at the end of the movie, when everything's kind of resolved, Finn gets eaten by the shark he sacrifices himself but not quite because he's actually gone in to kill the shark and then rips open the shark so you get all this like gore on that and then it turns out he actually got the shark that ate nova but didn't actually eat her because she's fine yeah i mean <laughs> i'm not gonna say that that's a ridiculous ending because compared to what happens in the rest of the movie it's just business as usual it's amazing that he picked the one shark that ate Nova. As it's been as it's mentioned in Jaws, sharks' digestive systems are very slow, so it wouldn't have digested her. But after a fairly lengthy amount of time inside this shark, I mean she does emerge from it remarkably unscathed. Yeah. Again, this is all suspension of disbelief. Just go with it. Like, anything bonkers that you can imagine probably will feature on screen in this film. I think if you go into it with the right attitude, knowing that you aren't going to get the level of suspense in something like a Jaws, or even something like a Deep Blue Sea, you're going to enjoy this. I think if you try to pick holes in it, and there are so many holes that you can pick in it, in terms of plot and continuity and all that kind of thing it's just going to drive you mad if you try to overanalyze this too much yes it's a complete pile of rubbish but it's not a bad pile of rubbish it's a really entertaining pile of rubbish yeah i mean i even think the imdb rating of 3.3 is a little harsh on it i think it deserves maybe about a five you know it's good fun and then going over to Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a tomato meter of 74% and then a 33% audience score. I'm genuinely surprised because this movie kickstarted like a series of event movies. It became a franchise. And I, I remember like seeing people looking forward to the next Sharknado's on. So it did have a lot of buzz surrounding it. So I would have thought it would have been quite you know, a popular audience movie and especially taking it to that digital platform as well where people were kind of corresponding over social media about it so mm -hmm. it, it has that different element there so i'm quite surprised at the score but you know i had a good time with it watching it at home on my tv even though i wasn't with people i still had a blast with it i was one of those people that used to watch the premieres of sharknado i was there on the sci-fi channel waiting for it to come on the first night so i was 
with all those people. And it wasn't because it was event television. It was because I just had a good time watching the Sharknado movies. And I was really wondering how daft the next one was going to be. Spoiler, they get dafter as they go along. It's weird. If you watch Sharknado and think this movie is mental, well, I've got news for you. It's probably the least mental of the series because it goes to some very, very strange places, especially towards the end of the series, which I'm not going to spoil because I think you ought to find that out for yourselves by immersing yourself in this franchise. 33% audience rating, maybe it's because they were looking for something they didn't get, that it was hyped and they, you know, the advanced reviews that said it was fun. Maybe they were just looking for something completely different and not something on the level that the Asylum delivers. I think if you know what the Asylum is about, then you know what you're getting yourself in for. I think casual movie fans that drift into these movies are just going to think, what am I watching? This is so dumb. But that's the point. It's meant to be dumb. It's not meant to tax you. You're supposed to have a good time and then forget about it. On that level, Sharknado really succeeds. It's not the best shark movie you'll ever see by a long way. But there's nothing wrong with it. 87 minutes, escapism, ridiculous plots, stupid CGI, absolutely monumentally idiotic characters in it at certain points. People who just do not behave like normal human beings do. I don't care. I want all of that. It's perfectly good entertainment. And I would happily watch Sharknado again. And if you think this is the last you've seen of Sharknado on this podcast, you're going to be very wrong because we are doing Summer of Sharks and I'm sure some more Sharknados will pop up somewhere down the line. So stay tuned for that. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 27 of the HD Movie Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our second Summer of Sharks offering. As ever, thanks for listening. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found on all the usual platforms. That's Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So let us know what you think the films we cover. And if you have any suggestions um, about movies you'd like us to feature on this podcast, let us know as that's always welcome. So after two Summer of Sharks episodes, what are we going to do next? Well, unsurprisingly, it's a third Summer of Sharks episode. So what are we going to be covering next time? Next time is a film that I have never heard of and never seen, but I believe it's by the director of Chopping Mall, which we have recently covered. Yes, it's the astonishingly titled Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. This sounds like a right good time, so I'm up for this. Um, so we'll see you in the next episode. Stay safe, everybody. See you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean. <laughs>